One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Emily Nicolas, columnist at Le Devoir and the Gazette Frenchifier here at Canada Land. Allo, bonjour. <laughs> Hi, Jesse. Today on the show, uh, the right to be an asshole is affirmed by the Supreme Court, and assholes across the nation breathe a sigh of relief. Also, don't blame Jean Chrétien. He didn't know a thing about residential schools back when he was running them. If only there was a way to check his claims. Flugel, uh, Jugal, uh, I'm out of ideas. Let's just take his word for it. Welcome back <laughs> to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. So, Emily, the response to the episode that you did in French of, of this show of Shortcuts, I was expecting a listener mutiny, and I was overwhelmed by how much people love that episode with you and Nora Loretto. Yeah, I did not know. I didn't, I did not know what to expect. I didn't expect a mutiny, but I expected a mixed bags of reaction. But, yeah, no, I was really touched by how people uh, not only loved it, but a lot of people who... You know, Francophones loved it, but also people who don't have French as a first language were like, I'm just 
listening to this on, you know, slow play. So make sure I understand everything. I want to understand this. This was a really, really a moving moment, actually, for me. It was so interesting to see those responses, Anglos who were like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to kind of like refresh myself and like actually listen through and try to comprehend this. Mm-hmm. And that, and then you brought my attention to a whole different kind of listener that I, I wasn't anticipating, just that there are so many French speakers who might be of Haitian origins, of Lebanese origin, who are just not like necessarily represented or included in French media, which I thought was this whole universe where that had everything, but actually a lot of those people found their way to that episode and expressed so much gratitude for it as well. Well, it's people of that are minorities uh, within Francophone communities, but I think it's also people who are not in Quebec. Uh, there's a lot of like Quebec centrism in French media, and there are people who speak French across the country. And so having a show, I think, that doesn't assume that French is a regional language as opposed to English being a national language is something that there is definitely a need for. I'm not saying it doesn't exist already. I'm just saying that people are hungry for more, and I think, in what I read from the comments. We got that same sense, and we like to experiment and try things, and when something goes over as well as that did, we want to just do more of it. But it did, there were some logistical issues in that I am the publisher of, of Canada Land, and I didn't understand a word of what we published. Not ideal. Um, <laughs> and so we actually had... That's trust. I that afforded That's you, trust uh, for you, Jesse. <laughs> Yes, let's call that trust as opposed. No, we, I mean we did have people vetting it, not me. But but what we realized is if we're going to do this regularly, we actually do need to put together some supports for you and the usual checks and balances and fact checking and senior editorial input. We need to have francophone people making that, and we want to do that regularly. And this is a crowdfunding message. I think we're going to get to our second goal of Canada Land Back. I think we're going to hit it, and so I'm I'm going to start talking to listeners about the goal after that which is Shortcuts en français, s'il vous plaît, with you. And we're going to need a lot more of a push. We're going to need people to upgrade their support or to become supporters to get there. But I think we can get there. I'm just, I'm so thrilled that you want to do this because I can't, I, I don't think we would want to do this without you. Thank you. I'm thrilled that you want to do this together. I feel like, yeah, Canada Land is a very unique platform and there's uh, an audience there that, yeah, if we start doing a French show there, we like just the pilot thing, we don't know, what happens. So we'll see. We'll see what happens if we make it regularly. I think it's going to be really exciting. Yeah. I want to make it a monthly thing. We need support to do it. And it just made me feel good because we've been calling ourselves Canada Land for some time now. But like, if you're not publishing in French, are you really Canada Land? Please, listeners, go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in your show notes. It's tremendous to see all these new supporters. Thank you. Welcome. We need a lot more. Spread the word and help us out. So, Emily, there are some people who say that the internet is a toxic cesspool where anybody can say anything about anyone else. It's total chaos. There's no consequences and it's gone way too far. Who says that? There are people. <laughs> I, them. They. Uh, <laughs> other people. Okay, sure. Other people. Mm-hmm. Play with me here for a minute. I'm pretty sure that some people say that. And meanwhile, yeah. other people, other people say you can't say anything these days. The internet is policed by woke mobs who will cancel you over the slightest violation of, of their puritanical word rules. They can even haul you in front of a kangaroo court called the Human Rights Tribunal where you'll have to pay them for hurting their feelings. And that's what other people say. I'm pretty sure. Let me just take a, a, a sip of my white tears right now. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious, aren't they? Salty and... Um, 
But those two sides seem to both be 100% sure that they are right. But what is the bottom line? You know, what what can you say and get away with it? And what can't you say? And it's kind of rare to actually reach a bottom line. But in recent weeks, there have been a number of cases in which the courts have actually delivered us some clarity about what you can and cannot say in Canada. And, and you and I are in the saying stuff business. So I paid attention to these things. Mm-hmm. And I want to start by talking about Mike Ward. Canada's Supreme Court considered a question today that is often left to personal taste. How far is too far when it comes to comedy? It ruled in favor of a comedian's right to free speech in jokes making fun of a disabled teen. In a split ruling, the Supreme Court says Ward's comments may have been repugnant, but that alone isn't enough. The judges say the jokes exploited, rightly or wrongly, a feeling of discomfort in order to entertain, but they did little more than that. And so they don't meet the bar for discrimination. I know that Mike Ward is a very, very popular comedian, a bilingual comedian. He's famous. He's mostly famous in Quebec, but not only in Quebec. He's got a very popular podcast. What's your take on Mike Ward? Who is Mike Ward for our listeners who don't know him? Um, I don't find him that funny. <laughs> so I don't know. I think my description is going to be biased. I'm just flagging my bias before I start. But yeah, no, he's this, um, you know, bilingual Montreal comedian who's been, I guess, doing humor by trying to push what is sayable and basically create, you know, just create a character of an asshole for himself and being that, you know, that character being his his popular brand, um, I'd say. Ever since this whole thing with uh, Jérémy Gabriel that we're going to get into, I feel like he's not as big as he used to be. But yeah, no, he's been pretty out there, especially I think during the 2000s is where he peaked. And that's sort of where this all happened. This was like uh, started 10 years ago. And the the story here is that Mike Ward uh, made fun of another celebrity in Quebec, uh, Jeremy Gabriel, who is a French-Canadian singer. He lives with Treacher-Collins syndrome, which is a rare genetic disorder characterized by abnormalities of the head and face. And he became famous as a kid, as a singer. And he sang with Celine Dion and he sang for the Pope. And as I understand this, Mike Ward did this sort of, I'm very, like, this idea that this is so edgy or pushing comedy, it's kind of old shtick. It's kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe you went after. Like, imagine that there was like a baby that was everybody loved named Cutie Pie. And I was like, fuck Cutie Pie. I wish that baby was dead. And then the joke isn't that that's so funny. It's that, oh my God, he went after Cutie Pie. (gasps) He's so bad. He's dangerous. But I don't know. That's a certain kind of joke that I'm sure I've laughed at over drinks with friends. And it's a certain kind of joke that I remember comedians doing in the eighties. And, but he went after Jeremy Gabriel He called him the kid with the subwoofer on his head, and he joked that Jeremy only got to meet the Pope because he should have died. Jeremy Gabriel was, like, still a child when these comments were made, and Jeremy Gabriel's mother launched uh, on his behalf a complaint with the Human Rights Tribunal, and this was, like, a long, extended legal battle. Uh, At first, Mike Ward lost. He had to pay money. He appealed. He lost the appeal, and then it went up to the Supreme Court, a 10-year fight, and just last week... Mike Ward won in a five to four ruling, which ruled that he did not breach Jeremy Gabriel's human rights, which are guaranteed by the Quebec Human Rights Tribunal, his right to live with dignity. What did you make of this uh, of this ruling? Yeah, I think they took the context. uh, They tried to analyze basically the joke in the context of the show. 
and the show, basically the concept of it was attacking what uh, Mike Ward called sacred cows. So he was attacking also like Celine Dion and he was attacking Yale Lepage, which is the host of Tout le monde en parle. So he was basically going after the figures that are kind of untouchable in uh, Quebec's cultural sphere. And so they took that and, um, and the majority opinion of the Supreme Court uh, says that Jeremy Gabriel was attacked, being on that list, basically being part of the famous people in Quebec that you cannot attack, rather than because of his disability. And it's interesting because the Supreme Court judgment is so tight, right? It's five that said that, and then there's four dissident opinions, and basically those four judges are basically saying exactly the opposite, which is that uh, Jeremy Gabriel was attacked because of his disability, and that the jokes would not have been funny if it wasn't that disability was something that you know, there there wasn't a social discrimination against disability. And it's really interesting that even the majority opinion says that maybe we would have ruled differently, basically is what they're saying, if it had been a label lawsuit instead. That's why I think it's it's a little bit far-fetched to say that because of this decision, it means that everybody can say everything. It just says that maybe, uh, you know, because of how access to justice is so difficult. If they had been better informed, they would have sued for a label instead of going to the Human Rights Commission and launch a complaint there. And maybe if they had done that, there would have been a different result. Because I think that's the other story you want to talk about this week is when a couple of people in Toronto <laughs> did a label lawsuit for discrimination. They actually won. So I think that's an interesting point of contrast. You've got these other two cases mm-hmm. where two different suits, one filed a defamation case, one by Walid Solomon, who is uh, a lawyer who has all kinds of ties to conservative politics, uh, Patrick Brown, runs conservative campaigns, and he's a partner to chair at a law firm. And he won, I think it's like the, he claims it's the third highest uh, settlement in uh, Canadian defamation law, half a million dollars against this social media guy, Daniel Boardman, who had gone after Solomon with just completely fabricated libel, defamation. He accused him of being a crypto-Islamist terrorist and being like a secret anti-Semite. And the case against Boardman was so ironclad. It was such a strong and compelling case that uh, it actually came to summary judgment. It didn't even go to a full trial. Uh, The evidence was damning. You're actually making specific accusations about Solomon that he's he's a terrorist. Yeah. In this case, it's like, well, what's your proof? I have none. Well, did you go to me for comment? No, I didn't. It was just open and shut. And the judge found like, no, you can't say that. And you owe him a half a million dollars. And separately, Mohammed Faki, who is really like a an adored and celebrated businessman here in Ontario who owns the chain Paramount Foods and who is uh, a big backer of the Liberal Party. So these guys are on opposite sides of the political spectrum. But he has been plagued by this racist vlogger, Kevin Johnston, failed uh, mayoral candidate uh, here in Ontario, Mississauga, just a virulent right-wing presence, a conspiracy nut who, and this is really drastic. Johnston went after Mohamed Faki uh, also with specific accusations that he funds terrorist groups in Myanmar, that he's a baby killer, like really horrible stuff. And first he loses this defamation case, two and a half million dollar libel judgment against Kevin Johnston. Of course, he doesn't have two and a half million dollars. And so now part of that ruling is he can't say anything more. He can't continue to libel Mohammed Faki, and he does so anyhow. He continues to, uh, to call him a terrorist. So Kevin Johnston was sentenced to 18 months in jail. 
And that's almost unheard of in Canada, being sent to jail for something that you said. And probably because he's basically disobeying the court, which is saying that they cannot say anything about them anymore. It's probably why they're going to, to jail, because otherwise it's a civil lawsuit. It's not a criminal, right? That's it. It's contempt of court. But that is kind of mm-hmm. the radical, you know, at the extreme of the court having anything to say about speech is you will be in prison for something you say after all other remedies have failed. And that that is what's happening. Right. What do you make of the contrast between these two cases, Emily? Well, I think the whole idea of defamation lawsuit is that you need to basically insist on the consequences of the lies or the things that the untruths that were said about you on your life. And this is why you're suing, basically. You're basically suing for the damage that has been done in your reputation. And so if you're being called a terrorist, basically, and that is Googleable, obviously you cannot find a job after that. It affects your career, it affects your relationship, it affects your mental health. And so that's really what was insisted upon, as opposed to uh, when you do a discrimination lawsuit, you do some of that. But I guess it made, in Jeremy Gabriel and Mike Ward cases, the judge think about the context of the joke and made them say the majority opinion was about, well, no reasonable person can say that there was an intent to harm Jeremy Gabriel from the joke. And by the way, the joke was that uh, Mike Ward was saying, I tried to kill him, uh, you know, make him drown, and I couldn't do it, you know, le petit tabarnak. He was joking with the idea of killing uh, Jeremy Gabriel, who became suicidal as a result of those jokes, and because they were repeated all the time by people that he was going to school with as a 13, 14-year-old teenager. And so this is basically what happened. And so obviously, if it's going to have that impact on your mental health, if you're going to get intimidated in school, if you're not going to be able to go out and have a walk without people joking about your death, I think this would have been a really, really good you know, defamation lawsuit for sure. The fact that uh, the judges deemed that everybody who would take the joke at first degree would be unreasonable. Why actually so many of people who listened to Mike Ward's show and so many of Jeremy Gabriel's peers, you know, took the joke at that level shows that there is actually either the judge made a mistake or there's actually a lot of unreasonable people in this country because that's the level of, you know, harassment and bullying that Jeremy Gabriel was exposed to as a result of the joke. I actually take a certain amount of comfort in all of these rulings, like uh, writ large, that it, it almost feels like maybe the systems are working when it's all said and done. And to these questions of like, oh, these days you could get canceled for hurting someone's feelings. Well, I can't imagine hurting someone's feelings more. I mean, what a uh, minimization it is to say, oh, Mike Ward hurt Jeremy's feelings. I mean, as you described, he mm-hmm. did a lot more than that. It's a case where I feel like that's despicable. And I, I absolutely feel like there should be consequences for that kind of bullying and that kind of just like cruelty. It's just some of the worst human behavior. But I don't think that this is the purview of the state. Mm. I believe in, in civil society. I, like, I hope that people won't go see him perform. I hope that he isn't allowed on, isn't, isn't welcome on talk shows. If you act that despicably, I would hope that people can just deal with that. And then to this other side of, oh, you know, free speech absolutist, like you should just be able to say whatever you want. Well, it's like, well, no, if you're going to say that somebody is like a baby killing terrorist, that could really fuck up their law. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there do need to be laws at a certain point. And in these cases, it feels like those laws, they kicked in pretty severely. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like uh, the minute it goes to court, everybody is already lost in a sense that uh, the damage is done. 
And the process itself is exhausting and really heavy and you need to prove that you were hurt in many different ways and then your reactions are questioned. You need to prove as well that you asked the person to basically stop doing what they were saying, that they, you tried to correct the record basically. And so it's a really exhausting process and at the end of God knows how many years that it lasts. I feel like people who've sued for label rarely feel like, oh, yes, I've got, you know, I've got my, I, I'm so happy that I have this money um, because the, the difficult past that they've had to go through is still there. And so I feel like really the only long-term solution is for people to buy themselves a moral compass <laughs> and for people to feel like it's not going to be profitable, actually, to be an asshole. Uh, it's not a business model. But I think we're not there yet, but it's changing. But it's really, I think, the social pressure that's going to make the huge difference on the long term, because otherwise you're just trying to mitigate damage when it's already too late for the people who've been exposed to this kind of hate. I think that's generally true. And I think it's certainly relevant in these cases that a lot of Muslim people have been unfairly called a terrorist or unfairly uh, and racistly abused and defamed. Yeah. It's no coincidence that Mohammed Faki, who's a very wealthy person, and Walid Solomon, who is somewhat less but still a pretty wealthy person, are the ones who actually created these precedents. I think that there's a certain precedent in this specific type of defamation. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can go the distance. And I think in both cases, Willie Solomon's not going to get a half a million dollars from Boardman. And Kevin Johnston's going to jail, but he's never going to pay two and a half million dollars to Faki. These were moral victories. But I do think that they have the impact of defining the lines. And I think that Anybody out there who's a part of the Rebels team or doing this out of their basement would have to pay attention to what happened here. Absolutely. It's very rare for me to be on the side of public figures who are launching defamation cases against, uh, you know, internet loudmouths. But in, in these cases, it's just so obvious who's right and who's wrong here that uh, one hopes that this does have the intended effect. Mm -hmm. One of my friends uh, lived through the same thing. Her name is Dalila uh, Awada. And uh, she was one of the hijabi women in Quebec who was very vocal against the Charter of Quebec Value uh, back in 2013. She was a very mediatized public figure uh, then. And um, yeah, the far right started to call her a terrorist, very similar thing uh, on YouTube platform. And some of that got repeated by some Quebecois columnists. And so, yeah, she launched a defamation lawsuit. And the reason she was able to do so was not because she was rich, but because her public I guess appearances made her uh, someone that uh, lawyers wanted to take as a pro bono case. Uh -huh. And so the post de the, the the YouTube channel that was doing the defamation, uh, had to close down as a result of losing. But it was a really, really, it was a martyrdom, really. I don't, I just, <laughs> I want people to to understand that suing for defamation when you're, is, is really no fun. And that what you want is for that to stop happening. You don't want to have a liberal lawsuit being, you know, what people have to resort to to have some sort of human dignity. Because, yeah, when you're at that point, you've already lost in some way. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. 
but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Emily, what do you have to duly note for our listeners today? Well, actually, uh, this week is uh, the start of a series of uh, conference that I was just checking out, organized by CBC Radio-Canada on uh, online hate against journalists. And I feel like, uh, well, actually, I know that the Canadian Association of Journalists did something similar in the last week. So I wanted to duly note this because I feel like there's something happening and it's kind of in relation to what we've been talking about today. Uh, but it's fun to know that we're not the only ones talking about this. It feels like the industry is having a moment. Since the, the whole Maxim Bernier thing in the election, there was a wake-up call for a lot of people. Maybe, you know, this online harassment of journalists is something where a line has been crossed and maybe the industry needs to start taking this seriously instead of letting individual freelancers register for yoga classes. And um, yeah, I, I I don't know what is, you know, the end result's going to be. But yeah, no, CBC is inviting people from CTV and people from Global and APTN and, and other print medias as well to try to figure this out together. Yeah, you know, it's a rare thing for Canada Land to play nicely with others, but we signed a, a letter in solidarity with other news organizations against this kind of abuse, and that led to a, a working group, which our, our producer today, Tiffany Lamb, is representing Canada Land, trying to actually turn this kind of like, I don't want to just do like this performative. But my only concern with signing this letter was that like, okay, but what are you actually going to do? Like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? We want to actually come up with some strategies and, and some some tangible things that can help people. So... Uh, let's let's not lose that thread. Duly noted. Thank you. I would like to duly note, you know, I don't say a lot of good things about this federal government, but after this cabinet shuffle, I am, I hadn't even heard of this guy, Mark Miller, the new uh, Crown Indigenous Affairs Minister. This is the first thing I heard from him. Check this shit out. You know, this relationship started with land. Um, the relationship has been broken be- because of land, land theft. Um and it's time to give land back. And that's just the reality of it. Um, is that, is it is, it's easily said. It's more difficultly done um, in the last... Damn, Emily, like, that, that's the guy. I'm, I'm all in for Mark Miller. It sounds like he gets it. But, you know, there's always, 
there's always just such a such a lot of space between what this government says and what it does. And it was a Friday afternoon news dump when it was announced that the liberal government is, yes, again, taking indigenous kids to court. And this mealy mouth nonsense, like, no, we're, what we're doing is we're appealing, but we're not really, like, we totally are going to work this out in negotiation. These payments to kids, residential school, survivors, all of this stuff, these considerations for Indigenous kids, we're not going to use the courts. We're going to work this out at the negotiating table. We're just keeping our options open for taking Indigenous kids to court. Do you know that Mark Miller speaks Mohawk? I did not know that. It's it's really interesting because I feel like, you know, on the multiculturalism side, we've been suffering for many years from like politicians who say greetings in our languages and then screw us over. And I feel like Mark Miller is maybe one of the first non-Indigenous politicians who's going to do the same, uh, e.g. tell people in Mohawk that he's suing Indigenous kids. <laughs> and I feel like oh, that's not what reconciliation should be about. Uh, but that's basically what's happening. We've reached that, you know, window of liberal shenanigans. <laughs> that Indigenous kids can be taken to court by a minister who speaks their language and by a prime minister with a tattoo on his arm. Uh, these, these are your new... <laughs> <laughs> adversaries in the courtroom. Yeah, yeah, my fucks. Duly noted, Jesse. <laughs> Emily, you remembered another duly noted. What do you got? Yes, I wanted to talk about Eric Zemmour, who is now running for president in France. And Eric Zemmour is this far-right guy who's been in the media. He's basically been writing books, but he's a very popular French media personality. And more and more people are comparing him to Trump because he's basically doing the same thing, which is saying outrageous thing on the media like every other day so that it just normalizes them uh, and actually makes Marine Le Pen and the Front National looks like they're moderate. Actually, he's on the right of the Front National. And that's just something that's about to blow up in our face in European politics. And I feel like people are not necessarily paying attention to that yet. But another Trump is on its way and is using uh, the French media ecosystem to get there. So we're not out of that paradigm yet. Duly noted. On n'a jamais mentionné ce problème-là quand j'étais ministre. D'aucune façon. Jamais. So, Emily, that was a couple of Sundays ago where former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien was on the massively popular program Tout le monde en parle, pardon my pronunciation, and he was asked about his awareness of residential schools when he was the minister of what was then called the Indian Affairs Department, 1968 to 1974. And at that time, residential schools were being handed over by the Catholic Church to the government and he was asked if he knew about what was happening there. And he said that he had no idea. The problem was never mentioned. And immediately, you know, his denial of, of knowing his ignorance was news. Canadian press feeds a story that gets published in the Toronto Star. Chrétien says he never heard of abuse at residential schools during time as minister. Almost identical in the National Post, Chrétien says he never heard of abuse at residential schools during his time in government. And the CBC, Jean Chrétien says he never heard about abuse in residential schools while he was minister. It took just a few hours for NDP MP Charlie Angus to say that Chrétien is a liar. Angus tweeted that uh, when Chrétien was Indian Affairs Minister, 
Teachers at St. Anne's Residential School begged him to intervene to help the children, and he did nothing. And I think that that was the tweet that actually got reporters to just check rather than just report what did Jean Chrétien say. Is what Jean Chrétien said true? Because there are public documents. There is a readily available historical record. And here is what the CBC's Jorge Barrera was able to document about exactly what Jean Chrétien knew and uh, a warning to listeners that we're going to talk about residential school abuse now. In 1968, Indian Affairs Minister Chrétien was sent a letter from a residential school teacher alerting him to prejudicial treatment of students. In 1970, a residential school employee was suspended and discharged from a school that was just north of Chrétien's hometown after four former students went to local police. Imagine the bravery it took to go to local police in 1970 with allegations that they were sexually abused. In 1971, The federal ministry received reports that a student had been mistreated and discriminated against by a teacher. Another student claimed they'd been kicked by a staff member. Also in 1971, Chrétien received a report that a residential school teacher kept weapons and ammunition to intimidate students. In 1973, a staff member at St. Anne's Residential School was reprimanded for offering alcohol to a minor and encouraging them to drink it. And also in 73, federal officials received reports that a grandparent of two students attending the Catholic-run Librette Residential School in Saskatchewan claimed that a supervisor broke a girl's arm and then laughed. He knew, and he's lying. What I want to talk about with you, Emily, is the role of the press in this. You know, there was a time when, like, if somebody important enough says something, if Trudeau says something, our job was to tell people what he said. That's what a reporter does. You, you tell the public what important people said. It's part of the job, anyhow, was that we were relaying the information and nobody wanted the reporter to like take a day to fact check it because we needed to know. The, the very fact that, that Trudeau says something is news. Maybe that's still true with Trudeau. Maybe that's still true with the Pope. But you know what? Those people can just speak directly to the public at this point. And it's not much of a value add for us to have a bunch of headlines saying, oh, Christian says this. And Christian is not currently the prime minister. And what he said, I think, just on its face, strained credulity. And I think that hitting Google to find out if what he said could possibly be true was kind of the bare minimum. And reporters didn't do that. Well, or it took a while for them to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about, you know, the media and the context in which this came out, gotta say that the full thing that Chris I said was that, that he didn't know. And then the word for residential school in French is pensionnat, which is the same as boarding school. So basically, there's no difference in the vocabulary. And so Chrétien went on, basically, on an explanation that he himself also went to boarding school, e.g. pensionnat, e.g. residential school, and that he also had it tough. And he also had to eat a lot of beans and a lot of oatmeal. Because that board, he's from a small village in Shawinigan, and he had to go to Trois-Rivières to be able to attend his boarding school, to be able to go into university. So immediately he drew a comparison between residential schools and his own experience in Collège Classique, which is the old system of French-Canadian elites. So obviously right there, I feel like people who were listening to the show understood that he was full of shit. And the other thing that happened directly into Montmartre is that Michel Jean, who's himself actually a TVA broadcaster, he's a news host, but he's also a best-selling Inu author. He's been um, writing novels about his his family, his Inu family that are some of the best-selling uh, novels in, in a really long time in Quebec. And so Michel Jean was there 
and he immediately challenged him uh-huh. and said that basically uh, residential schools are not like boarding schools and started to tell some of the experience of his own family in residential schools. And so I feel like that's also something that would not have happened 10 years ago, having an indigenous person there uh, to actually call Jean Chrétien on his bullshit. But it took a while longer for journalists to actually go into fact-checking in terms of what he said, and Charlie Angus definitely played a role in that. But yeah, it was interesting that there was already a lot more, you know, Jean Chrétien became a meme and people started laughing at him in French. See, this is what I miss because I can't speak French. Like, I was confused by mentions that he went on to talk about his own boarding school experience and that those terms are the same. Yeah. And I mean, that, like, fuck that guy. Like, he actually was comparing eating oatmeal with what we're learning about residential schools. Yeah, no, and I think that's also a misunderstanding that a lot of French Canadians still do today, being like, oh, pensionnat, I went to a pensionnat myself. And like, yeah, that pensionnat was bad. The nuns were strict, but I survived this. What are you complaining about? That's still something that I think a generation doesn't get yet. So I think it might have been useful in a way for him to say something like that and for him to be called out on it in front of, I don't know, a million people. I think that might put that kind of like misunderstanding and argument to rest at least for a while. I think if that that bullshit did that, I think that's a good thing. If it did that, I mean, Chrétien enjoys a very, very special place in the Liberal Party and in Canada. I mean, he's trotted out during the campaign as this elder statesman. His endorsement is still very, very valuable. I'm not immune to his charm. You know, like he's got this kind of like scoundrel rascal, like he just says it like it is, but like that's fucking vile what he said. And Mm -hmm. are we actually reckoning with this or not? Because there are still people walking around who were responsible for what happened. There are people walking around who did it firsthand and there's people walking around who had responsibility to those kids at a higher level than that. And Christian was like chief among them. And yet he's still kind of this hero. That's... That's staggering. Yeah, I think uh, I actually heard from some other people who were ministers and past governments say the same thing. People who were in senior public office in the 70s, in the 80s, you'll find a lot of those Ottawa folk say exactly the same thing. So I feel like uh, Chrétien is just the guy who has a loud mouth who said it out loud, but there's just so many people in Canada who will say exactly the same and that need to be called out as well. I'm just happy that this is happening before there's a statue of him somewhere <laughs> so that we don't need to take it down. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, we, there, maybe there's going to be some local stuff, you know, in Mauricie and his own region, but I feel like he's really doing so much in the last couple of weeks to kill his own legacy. He's just self-sabotaging to a level that he doesn't really understand himself. He speaks like a man who hasn't grasped how much the world has changed. And I feel like a lot of people, you say he's a hero. I think a lot of people might feel that because of the whole 95 referendum thing and what a role he played in that. But exactly for those reasons, I think a lot of people, especially here in Quebec, hate his guts. He's a very polarizing figure. And for him to also say that he advised the Queen not to apologize to the Maori in New Zealand uh, because if she was to apologize to Indigenous people in New Zealand, she would spend two years on her knees in Canada, is what he said to the Queen of England. 
And so uh, for him to, you know, be making those kind of jokes actually shows how much he knew <laughs> that the crown has been mistreating indigenous people. So you see as well how much he's lying just because of what else he says, right? Why would he tell the queen that she would be apologizing for two years if you feel like the queen didn't have a lot to apologize for? So, um, yeah, Jean Chrétien is full of shit. And for people who had been paying attention, it's nothing new. The world's changed a lot since 1995 and uh, for us as well in the media. And mm -hmm. it's something that I've been reflecting on. Like during the coverage of the WE organization, it was like just a matter of weeks after they had just blatantly misrepresented themselves to the press and said, we have never paid the Trudeau family any money. And then they would issue a statement, we're political roadkill. And then that would be a headline. And I'm like, what is credibility? If our first job is not to report untruths, then, you know, when you get a press release from the cops and you just publish it, I think we have to start asking questions of these sources the same way we would any other source. Is this a credible source? Are, Absolutely. Are the police a credible source? What's their track record? Have they earned our trust? And in so many cases in Canada, we just have this category of independent of whether or not you have lied in the past, you are an establishment figure of some type or another, and the media still thinks it's 1995, and our job is merely to repeat the words that this important establishment figure has just said. And that's, that adds no value at all. That does not help anyone. Correct. And I feel like we've, at least I feel like people should be learning from this case. I think it's an important case study of how, why that is not livable. Although I, I got to say that I think a lot of people just, you know, reported what he said as fast as possible and then took the time to do the fast checking afterwards, which is also something that's, you know, if you're going to do it as soon as you can, I think that's also fair. But I think that definitely needs to change. Yeah. You just worry that the lie gets more traction than the fact check. Yeah. And I want to say as well that because this is a media, you know, analysis, criticism show, uh, Nora Loreto said something on Twitter that made me think, and I think she's very much right. She basically said that Jean Chrétien would not have had a platform in English Canada to say that. Only tout le monde en parle, allowed him to rant and, and go on and on about, you know, shooting himself in the foot like that. And I think that's very true that, um, You know, if you had the late night talk shows where you had, you know, artists, personalities and also politicians were there, but there as, you know, drinking a glass of wine and also trying to be cool as they're, you know, talking, <laughs> you would have a lot more of a chance to get them off their off their tape and uh, yeah. to start, you know, being more real. And I think this is a kind of interview that does a service to the country when you're having a format where people can be, you know, caught off guard, saying things, trying to show off, and then they show who they really are. And I feel like English Canada deserves a show like that too, so that uh, Tout le monde en doesn't get all the scoops. <laughs> you know what? I, th I think it's a, it's a great point that there's no corollary in English Canada, but Chrétien didn't go and show his ass because of their format. He went and tried to look cool and then exposed himself because people watch that show. Yeah. And there have been attempts in English Canada to have late night chat formats and people don't watch them. Mm. Well, too bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that shortcuts. Uh, thank you for joining me, Emily. <laughs> My pleasure. We're on Twitter at Canada Land and I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com. And I read everything that you send. Emily, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, uh, in 
de Le Devoir and in the Montreal Gazette. And hopefully soon uh, on French language episodes of Shortcuts. Uh, please yes. support us at cancelandcom slash join. That goes without saying. <laughs> and yet I keep saying it. Uh, this episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by So Called and syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. It's crowdfunding month. If you want to uh, get ad-free versions of these shows and help us make all kinds of great new stuff, please uh, click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.